Can you put your hands together and bless the Lord this morning? We love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. There is victory in Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for praising and worshiping with us this morning. We're so glad that you are here. How many got a big old praise weapon with you this morning? Praise is my weapon. Praise is my weapon. Knocking down the devil, man. I feel like I got an M60 for Jesus from Jesus today. Take that, you spirit of depression. Take that anxiety, fear. How many just got praise as a weapon today? Amen. Look at your name and go. Come on. Come on. We can relate to that in Chicago. We know about weapons, but my weapon is praise unto God. Man, I remember just hearing that song for the first time, and I was like, somebody knew I needed that song. Because so often we get discouraged, and your voice feels like it's a mouse. Like, you don't feel like you can shout. You don't feel like you can praise. But sometimes you just got to, in your house, go, hallelujah! Woo! You just got to shout, man, and just let the devil know I may be going through something, but God's with me, and I'm going to make it through. Sometimes my neighbors must think I'm crazy, man, because I'll just go outside, and I'll shout hallelujah sometimes. Sometimes I'll do it inside my kids. I know they'll hear me in my office just shouting and dancing and just mm, getting excited. Let's open up our Bibles to Revelation chapter 4. We are going through the book of Revelation. What a perfect book for this season of our lives. We are the closest generation to the second coming of Jesus. You're going to hear about a lot of things today, and you may agree or disagree with some of the timeline. That's okay. Christians have debated the end times for a while. But there's one thing that I think we can all agree upon. Jesus is coming back, and we're the closest we've ever been. How many believe that? Amen and amen. So today I want to go in Revelation chapter 4, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. If you've missed the previous ones, go back to the notes, the website, the app. Today we're going to learn about the subject, what Jesus said to the, to the Rev, uh, in the book of Revelation to John. He said, I will show you what must take place. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, John speaking here. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. Now, here's just something to remind everybody here how I'm personally as your pastor, leader, teacher, interpreting the book of Revelation. And let me just say this. If you're a visitor here, this is going to be a doozy for you, okay? This is a doozy for the visitors. Like, I was already sweating back there, you know, just thinking about how much stuff I got to drop today, how much controversial stuff. But let me just start right here so you can know where I'm coming from. Nothing up my sleeve. I am like 100% Jesus sure that Jesus is coming back. I'm 100% sure. How many are 100% sure of that? Okay, good. 
I am about 51% of this chart right here, okay? I'm about 51% of this chart. And this chart, thank Thank John Hagee for it, okay? So if anybody knows about televangelists, John Hagee's been there. We're entering that world today, okay? I'm about 51% sure of how this chart plays out according to the main doctrine we're going to learn about today called the rapture, okay? So here's my thing right off top. If you disagree with what I'm going to share with you today and you want to debate it with me, you got to take me somewhere. Where do you got to take me? Red Lobster. And who's got to do the majority of the talking? You do. So you could be like, Joe, you're wrong. And I'd be like, okay, tell me how I'm wrong. More a, a butter sauce, please. Well, Joe, you should have had this part of the timeline there. Okay, let me just get another lobster. You just keep telling me, you know. This is my joke. Obviously, you don't need to take me to Red Lobster. But what I'm trying to say is this. I want to be open and clear with you as you, as you see the big picture. No one has this in their Bible. Like, this was not given to John. Jesus did not say to John, okay, let's get out the chalk. Let's draw out the map here. I'm showing you this. What we know for sure is that John got the pieces of this. Like, the pieces, you know, he got the information about the seven seal uh, judgment. He got about the trumpets, the bowls of wrath. He heard about this figure coming that's going to be possessed by a dragon and try to take over the world, like he heard about a mark, the mark of the beast. Okay, he heard about all that, but when we want to, you know, stick it up on the board, it gets, it gets, I'm just going to be honest with you, it gets a little bit cork board with the thumb tacks and the yarn, okay? And it looks cool right now, like everybody's like, man, I believe that, I believe that. But trust me, if there was another pastor here that had a different chart, you'd probably be like, I believe that too, you know? So let me just be very honest with you here. If you are gun ho right now and you're just like, this is how it is, I'm like with John Hagee or I'm with this person or I'm with that person. All that I ask you to do is just chill in how you do that here because right now we cannot afford in this culture to go World War III on each other over this. Like, do you understand? They're putting fences around churches right now in Canada. Like somebody last night in Dallas got arrested for preaching, okay? You're right now already looked at as a weirdy on your job if you believe in this church being open without masks right now. Like how many walked into this church and you're like, this is a breath of fresh air, right? Like I'm like in Walgreens all masked up and everywhere we go. So listen, I don't think there was probably ever a good time to fight about this, but I would say debate it, study it. We're definitely a church of Spartans here. We are not afraid of the swords chinking and sparks flying, iron sharpening iron, but I just want to be very transparent. It's not high on my list. Out of the one to ten, how much I care about things in the Bible and that I teach, this is like barely scraping along to one, but there are people in this church like, in times is your ten, like you're all in in that. We'll find somebody else that's all in that because someone's already talked to me after service from the first and they're like, I disagree with this, I disagree with that. And I'm like, we're doing it wrong. We're, we're not at Red Lobster right now. You can't start this yet. Like, what are, we, what are we doing? What are we doing? You're like catching me before I go into my office and she's here. You know, I love you if I'm just teasing you here. But no, it's like, it's like my passion isn't to debate it. If you want to, I mean, if you want to discuss like a hundred other things, I'm probably like way more passionate about it. I'm just like not passionate about this. I'm passionate about Jesus coming back. I'm definitely passionate about judgment, setting things in order. I just, when it comes to setting all the dates and the timelines, that may disappoint some of you, but I'm about a one out of a 10. Can you guys still love me? Okay. Now, 
going back to the first verse, what we just read right here, let me just help you understand as we move forward into the parts that get all into this. All we've really done so far is really just talk about the churches. The book starts with Jesus and the seven spirits of God or the seven manifestations of the Holy Spirit and then the seven churches. All that we're about ready to get into is all of this stuff, okay? So this is where I just want you to know, like as an interpretive principle, this is where Joe is coming from. John is speaking. He says, there was a door before me. What do you think I'm going to say that is, just knowing how I am about this? I think it's a door, okay? Is everybody just tracking with me? There's a door before me. What do, I, what, what do you think I'm going to say is there? A door. Now, somebody else is going to be like, Jesus is the door, and then Jesus is the door, and then there's a handle on Jesus, and that's called the gospel, and then there's, a, there's some emeralds on the door. They're going to go all deep. Where am I going with this? He saw a what? A door. So just use your imagination. He's looking up towards heaven. He's looking up towards heaven. And what does he see one more time? A door. That, that's what I believe right there. Now, once again, if you want to argue about whether or not that's a literal door or if that's Jesus, the door, I'm not going there. That's just, I just don't have the mental capability to go there with you. As you know my personality, I'm a verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter kind of pastor. I love the epistles. Does anybody remember Hitch, where they did the dating thing, and, and like Will tries to tell him where to dance, and he's like, this is your space. This is your space. This is me in the epistles. This is me where Paul is at. That's where I'm at. I understand that deeds of the flesh, fruit of the spirit, kick this person out, you know, like all of this. Like I'm, you know, I'm there. When we get to Revelation, I just, just my personal nature, and I trust me, I read a lot of commentaries. I'm not convinced I need to go beyond that. Whenever we start going into the symbology and the deep things, it's usually going to come with a phrase like this. Somebody say like. See, let's go here. After this, I looked up, and there before me was a door, and the voice I had heard at first was speaking to me what? Like a trumpet. So does that mean the voice had a trumpet coming out of it? That's not where I'm going. I'm going with the simile there, like a trumpet, okay? So like a trumpet, it's, uh, the voice said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Somebody say, after this. Okay, now going back to our chart, book of Revelation, here we are. What is the after this? The, the book starts with understanding who Christ is, what the churches are about, and now he says, right here, come up to heaven, and I'm going to show you what happens after all of this, what's happening after this. Somebody say after this. This is where now I have to tell you what I think happened when he said, come up here. Somebody say rapture. Now, I cannot use the book of Revelation to prove this, which is generally what I do. Whenever I'm in a discussion, debate with somebody, I'm like, we're in that book until we can prove our points. We're not running to another book. We're not doing like Hebrew hopscotch, you know, like just trying to hop around the whole Bible. But I am honest with you, right here in the book of Revelation, not only can I not fill in all of the blanks. No one can. It's impossible. There's no way somebody can read the book of Revelation and say, I can fill in everything that's supposed to be happening in these times. Trust me, every major interpretation of the book of Revelation is going to do what I do right now. They're going to go, 
Now let's go to another part of the Bible and try to figure it out. That's it, because it's a book of mystery. It doesn't tell you everything that's happening and the way it's going to happen. It kind of draws out what we would call like a panoramic view. So don't just think like, man, pastor, you're going to show me the rapture now in some other verse of the Bible, like probably your favorite author, Paul, right? And I'm like, yes, for sure. We're going to Paul now. Paul, I need your help right now. There you are. You know that I love you. We were talking before. And I'm like, I love post-tribulation. Let me just say this. I want to do this for fun if anybody wants to do this. My father-in-law is as pre-trib as you can get. The sister right here is post-trib. Can I treat you guys both to Red Lobster and you guys talk about it today? Come on, give it up for a Red Lobster talk. There you go. Red Lobster on me. You guys go out. So I'm glad, so glad I saw you here. Okay, awesome. Just going back to this point. He, here's, here's what I'm saying about this. I cannot stop and just say, I can explain Revelation by itself. I got to go to Paul. I got to go to other authors. Anytime you're watching somebody give you their interpretation of Revelation, they're going to do the same thing. So it's not just like, oh, Joe, only show me in Revelation what you believe about Revelation. Okay, good luck with that. Seriously, that's not happening. Even the Holy Ghost is not helping you there because the Holy Ghost gave you the scriptures. You guys understand what I'm saying? Okay, so let's go now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Let's go to the rapture doctrine. How many believe in the rapture? Okay, very cool. How many of you heard the question? Okay, so nobody said amen to that. It was like a trick question, Pastor? No, like how many of you heard the question? Okay, once again, how many believe in the rapture? Can I hear an amen? Okay, so, okay, that's what I thought. I thought there would be a little bit more of you guys there. All right, let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter Four, starting in verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not proceed those who have fallen asleep. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we'll be with the Lord forever. Everybody say forever. forever. Amen. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, let's go here to the book of Revelation as I put on the break here. He said, after this, I looked, there before me was a door standing open in heaven. The voice spoke to me like a trumpet and said, come up here, come up to heaven, John, and I will show you what must take place after this. I think that's the rapture. I think God is calling the church out of the timeline right here before literally hell comes to earth. Now, I have heard many positions about the rapture. The two that are most closest to me are pre-tribulation rapture. That means before all of this tribulation, rapture happens. The other one, which my dear friend, Dr. Michael Brown, Craig Keener, some of my favorite scholars believe, is called post-tribulation rapture. Recommend their book to you. I'm not afraid of the Antichrist. That's like the name of their book. Really cool. It's right here. They believe it's happening here. Now, why do I believe that the rapture is happening here? There's a few reasons. Number one, in the book of Revelation, we hear no more mention of the church to at the end of all of this. 
What we do hear about is 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe, getting marked and sealed by God to be in-time Jewish witnesses. That's what we do see. We already see a multitude in heaven. Now, once again, let's go right back up here. And, and there's another uh, uh, version called the mid-trib, which would happen right around this period or this period. There's actually two different views of the mid-trib that they think it happens. Now, let me ask you a question. Pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. Does this verse definitively prove anybody's position? No. How many know I'm already stretching this verse like a rubber band about ready to break or a guitar string that you're like, eh, I don't know if that's, that's, that might be too tight right there, Joe. How many know I'm already stretching this bad boy as far as I can go with it, okay? Now, if somebody from the post-trip goes, see, you're telling on yourself, we have a better version. Well, tell me in that version where your rapture happens because in the entire book of Revelation, there's no place that the church is even given an opportunity to leave unless you take this as your, as your opportunity because it's already set, like, like at the end, we're already coming back with Jesus. So those who are post-tribulation and go, well, we get raptured when Jesus comes back. He only comes back once. Right here it says we're already coming back with him. Now somebody might say, well, that's, that's only those who have died. The rest are on the earth. My friends, now listen to me. If we're going through it, I'm okay. How many are ready to live for Jesus whether, whether the tribulation happens or not? Okay, so here's the thing. People are suffering on this earth right now. People have brought this point up to me many, many times before. We are not escapists. This church right here is not waiting for the rapture because we're afraid to go through all of this. If Jesus says you're going through this, how many are you going through it? Okay, but some of the scary stuff about this is, is by the time we get to the bowls of wrath, which God said he has not destined us or appointed us for wrath, and I think that's a good scripture to kind of go towards my side as well. By the time we get to this, a third of the earth is being destroyed. A third of the humans on the earth are being destroyed. Now, the, the people who are post-tribulation rapture, they try to say, well, if God could keep Israel, the Israelites, safe during the time of the plagues on Egypt, God can do the same for us. But notice the difference with that. When the plagues were coming on Egypt, that's like on one region, and the Bible says that the Israelites lived outside of that region. When you get to the bowls of wrath, you're talking the third of the earth. The entire earth is burned up with some of the falling stars. A third of the drinking water is taken away. Now, either a lot of us die during the tribulation, which, which definitely happens. There is some martyrdom there. But either this number of Christians, e even in America, dramatically goes low, low, low to where we're just a small little number, or we're raptured out of here, and the only thing that's really being done is upon the sinner and the few Christians that are remaining. Okay, so those are some of the points to consider. Both are, you know, both are legit. Can I just get an amen from everybody? We love our post, our pre, and our mid-tribbers. How many are pan-trib? It's going to pan out, and you're going to be all right. Look at your neighbor and say, you're going to be all right. God's going to take care of you, man. Okay, now, going back here, where, where am I going with that? Come up here means the church is coming up, and now the church is going to be in that safe space. Everybody say safe space. Never thought I would use that as a good thing, but it's actually happening in the Bible. Safe space, and we're watching the rest of this. Here's just one last thing that I would point towards my side, and I do have the mic, so I get to point out a few of these things. Uh, and, I, and I talked to Michael Brown about some other things, and these guys, honestly, if I even had an hour with them, I probably wouldn't even bring it up because there's so many other things I agree with them. But if I can ever get a nice, healthy discussion with them, I, 
I would do it online anytime. But here's one of my other things. Remember when Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and where I am, there you will be also. And in my Father's house are many rooms or are mansions, depending on what translation you're reading. If the post-tribulation view is correct, and we're going through all of this, and it's just Jesus coming back, and then we go right back down, where are the mansions? Where are the many rooms? How are we being spared from wrath? So I think that the promise is that Christ raptures us here. We come up, and then we witness all of this happening down here, and then we come back with him. And so as the old series goes, left behind, you don't want to be left behind for this because it's literally going to be hell on earth. Now, he says that he's going to come up there and he's going to see something. Now let's watch and see what John sees. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. Now let me just give the spoiler alert here. It's God the Father, okay? Now notice this. The spirit, there we have the spirit, brings him to God the Father. Who are we missing here? Jesus, God is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The, the, the Son, or the Lamb of God, is going to come in the next chapter. We're not going to get into that today, but I want to make sure I break it down enough so that you can be confident that Jesus is God, the Spirit is God, and Father is God. Because sometimes our friends, like the Jehovah Witnesses, want to say that Jesus is not God, and they'll point you to a scripture like this, that the Spirit takes John to the throne, and he only sees a someone, one person sitting on that throne. But can I show you how you can blow that up real quick? Just right here. Come on. Somebody say preach it. I'm going to show you how you can blow that up real quick. Look at Revelation 22, the end of the book, same author, which I love to do. Keep people in the book. Say, you like that? Oh, you like seeing the Father on the throne? Let me show you something else on the throne. Revelation chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of life. Somebody say, Holy Spirit. He's the river of life. He's also candlesticks burning. He's also taken the form of the, the dove before, you know. So the Holy Spirit is shape-shifting a lot, okay? But just remember, he's not a force. He's a person. Here he's in this form of water, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of what? God and of the... Ah, isn't that pretty neat? The lamb shares the same throne as God his father, no one else gets to do that except God. And I'll show you that in more scriptures. Don't think I'm just going to try to be all quick with it. We're going to take our time, but I just want to prepare you for this, okay? At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, reddish brown, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 elders on their thrones and seated with, excuse me, were 24 other thrones and seated on them were the 24 elders. They were all dressed in white and had crowns on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. How many get that image of God when you think of God? How many don't? How many think of God as loving father? How many have both? Is anybody listening to the questions being asked by the pastor, okay? But both, good. So here is that image that most people have of the thunder, the lightning, all of these things. That is a part of God's nature. He's also a father, a shepherd, and wonderful things like that. But we don't want to take this away from him. We don't want to say, well, he's my father, so he doesn't have thunder around his throne. My father has thunder around his throne. How about that? Amen. It's like my, my father's pretty awesome, okay? In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. Those are the seven spirits of God. 
We talked about that, and let's just go there quickly so you can understand. Some people have tried to say the seven spirits of God means there's seven separate spirits. No, it's one spirit manifesting in seven ways. And if we go back here to this chart, you can see how the menorah imitates this. You notice in the menorah, there's that one main candlestick in the middle and then the three on each side. So think about it like this. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. This is very important because it's also going to come up in Revelation in the next chapter that the seven spirits are on the lamb, okay? The spirit of the Lord in the center will rest on him, talking about the Messiah, then the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and the spirit of might and the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. How many saw the seven there? Okay, awesome. That's what we're talking about. So we're looking at the throne. We're seeing the father sitting there. We're seeing the rainbow, the, the lightnings, the rumblings. We see the manifestations of the spirit of God. Now verse six. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like to be a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne, there were four living creatures that were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was one like a lion, the other like an ox, the third like the face of a man, the fourth like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with their eyes all around and under their wings. And day and night they cried out and could not stop saying rather, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Let's say this together on the count of three. One, two, three. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Pretty neat creatures up there, right? One has a face like an eagle, and he's talking. How many think that's pretty neat to see the talking eagle? One has a face like a man. Another one has a face like an ox. Now, right here, let's, let's go with this. Let's go with this. The one who has a face like an ox, what do you think I believe that means? He has a face like an ox. Now, before somebody goes, well, that's so weird. I only believe those who have faces like men can talk. Says who? God allowed your face to talk. Now you're saying you can't allow an eagle's face to talk? This is not square circle stuff. Everybody get this. This is not a contradiction. If I said to you right now, design a cartoon, which a lot of young people are learning how to code, video games, cartoons. If I said code a talking eagle right now and have that thing talk back to me, how many can make a talking eagle if you followed the code? God can follow whatever code he sets up and, and design whatever talking creatures he wants. If I can make a talking puppet, if I can make a talking video game, cannot God make an eagle talk and say, holy, 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 it's the Lord God Almighty. So let's just, let's just think a little bit about our prideful objections to meeting strange creatures. Okay, like have you ever seen something from the bottom of the ocean? You're like, that thing is strange, right? How many think that the thing's looking back at you going, I think you're strange. That seahorse is looking at you going, what's wrong with you? How come you don't have a tail that curls up like that? Now, God has given us the gift of consciousness, and we seem to be the only ones with consciousness that talks. God could give the gift to an eagle and let it talk, but I don't just think it's like an eagle. I think it's a creature that has a face like an eagle, and that conscious being that looks like an eagle can talk. Now, here, here's what's really cool. Once again, the New Testament always confirming the Old Testament. When you go to Ezekiel, everybody go to Ezekiel, uh, please, uh, chapter 1. We see that Ezekiel has already met these creatures, but there's a little bit of a difference in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 5. Let's see if you can notice it. In Ezekiel chapter 1, starting around verse 5 here, it says, in appearance, their form was human, but each of them had how many faces? Four faces, and how many wings? Four wings. 
How many wings did the creatures in Revelation have? Six. Look at it right here. How many wings? Six. And then it says here that each one has their own face of an eagle, face of an ox, face of a man. In Ezekiel, it says that they have four faces, and guess what those four faces are? The four faces are one of an eagle, one of a human. You see it right here, human, one of a lion, one of an eagle, one of an ox. Everybody go, mmm. Okay, so now, are there two separate kinds of creatures? One has four wings, four faces. And the other one has six wings and one face, but out of that race of them, they each have the ox, the eagle, etc. Two different kinds of creatures or the same being described different ways? I believe they're the same being described in different ways. If you disagree with me, where are we going? Okay, boom, you got it. And that's, how, that's, how the, that's what theologians do, and that's how fights start in the church. Well, I think they're two different kinds of creatures. See, it says here four wings, and over here it has six wings. And the other guy goes, yeah, man, because he wasn't talking about those other wings. He was talking about the four. They still had six. Yeah, and then they only have two faces. Yeah, but they really had four, and he was only talking. You know, they only had one, but they had four, you know. Okay, how many think you can still go to heaven disagreeing about this with somebody. How many believe you could still go to heaven and have your different opinion? These are the kinds of things we shouldn't waste our time fighting about. Here's all that I know that is important to us. Whenever you see God's throne, you see some pretty amazing creatures hanging around there. You see some pretty awesome creatures. And let me just give you an example here now of how I know Jesus has always been at that throne. And the only reason in the book of Revelation we don't see him in chapter 4 on the throne like he is in chapter 22 is because he's going to be shown as a lamb. But let me show you that he's been on that throne before. Everybody go to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah 6, please. And then hold your place there and open up John chapter 12. Somebody say, I'm learning. How many thrones are there for God in heaven? Okay, how many thrones? One. And we learn that Jesus sits on that throne, right? And out of that throne flows the river of life. Now watch this. In the year, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord. Who did he see? He saw the Lord in his temple. Oh, and he sees the six-winged creature. So in Revelation, there's creatures with wings. In Ezekiel, whenever God comes around, creatures with wings. In Isaiah, what do we see? Creatures with wings. And what are they saying to that one on the throne? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Wow, that sounds pretty uh, uh, close to this right here. And how many gods did the Jewish people have, by the way? How many gods? Man, you guys are a little bit slow on answering that today. Let's start with the basics. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one, right? He's one God. Now, go to John chapter 12. Go to John chapter 12 here for me, my brothers. Who does the author of the gospel of John say that Isaiah saw high and lifted up and he saw his glory? Who does John say he saw? The Lord. That's what Isaiah said. But who does John say the Lord is? He said he saw Jesus. Watch right here. All these prophecies come in, um, in Isaiah. All right here, Jesus is preaching Isaiah. And now look at what John says. John chapter 12, verse 41. Isaiah said this because he saw whose glory? Jesus' glory. Oh, snap. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. I saw God. I saw the creatures. Oh, I thought that would get an amen. Put back up there for them Revelation chapter 22 again. Why is Revelation building us up and not showing us the lamb right away? Why is he not showing us the son? 
is because in Revelation chapter 5, we're going to see the Son as a lamb. It's not the Father who took on flesh, it's the Son. It's not the Spirit, it's the Son. And so when we start in Revelation chapter 4, he's seeing the glory of the Father. And then what he's going to see is the glory of the Son. And then he's going to end the book, as we just said here, with the Holy Spirit flowing from the one throne, not two thrones, of God and of the Lamb. The Lamb sits on his Father's throne. And he actually says that in John as well. And so going back to our notes, these creatures are wherever God is. You see these creatures, you see them singing this song, you know you have met the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And who is that God? The Father, Son, and Spirit. And so do we have three gods? No. We have three persons that share the nature of God. So everybody understand the Trinity here. Baptize them, the disciples, in the name of the Father and of the, and of the Holy Spirit. Did it say baptize them in the names? No. Name, singular. The name of our one God. God is the Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, you and I we are separate persons, but we all share the human nature. How many of you are human here today? Okay. In the God race, in the God kind, there are three persons that share divinity equally, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Now, somebody might say, yeah, but he's called the Son of God. Does that mean maybe uh, God made him first, and then after God made Jesus, everything else was made? No. Go to John chapter 1, verse 1. Remember, the book of Revelation is about revealing Jesus. Somebody say, it's all about Jesus. That's why this is always important. Whenever we see God, we have to understand where is Jesus in the midst of this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with who? God. So the Word's like, hi, God, here I am. And then the Word was God. Oh, does that mean he's the same person of the Father? He's waving to himself. Hello, Father. Hello, Son. That's what oneness Pentecostals believe, that Jesus is the Father, Jesus is the Son, Jesus is the Holy Spirit. Like I am a father to my children, a son to my father, and then a pastor to you. They think the Father is Jesus in one way, the Son is Jesus in another way, and the Holy Spirit is Jesus in another way. That is not what the Bible teaches. Here you see the Word is with God, and He's equal to God, but He's not the same person He's with. He's not schizophrenic. He is with someone. He's in communication with that person. Now, notice here, he's with God in the beginning. So Jesus has been there all along, and through him, all things were made that have been made. Without him, nothing has been made that was made. How many things did Jesus make? Somebody say all things. Well, lo and behold, let's keep going to hear the worship of the one sitting on the throne, which we know is the Father. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. That means he's eternal. He's been there from the beginning. Okay, we heard the word is there from the beginning. And now watch. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord our God, and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created how many things? All things, and by your will they were created and have their being. We go here to the word, through him, how many things were created? All things. How many creators do we have, though? One creator revealed in three persons. So if someone says Jesus was created first as the son, and he created everything else, he couldn't be the creator of all things. He, it would have to say, through Jesus, all other things were created. Because he had to get created first. But no, he gets the title of creator of all things. 
Father, creator of all things. Son, creator of all things. Spirit, creator of all things. Go back to Genesis. Let us make mankind in our image. Who is the us? Father, Son, and Spirit. We see that. Now, just to give you the peekaboo, everybody say peekaboo. Let's go to Revelation chapter 5 where we'll be next week, Lord willing, if the rapture hasn't happened. How many are planning to come back next week? Bring some of your friends, some of the visitors. We're not going to see you again. That's okay. We still love you. Come back uh, whenever you feel like it. Now have a kid. But watch this right here. Look at how the chapter 5 ends right here. We, di- we didn't see the Lamb. We only saw the Father. We only saw the Spirit. But now look at it here in chapter 5. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be what? Praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Oh, wow. You mean the same thing that we heard up here in chapter 4 goes to God, all glory, all honor, and all power? You mean here at the end of chapter 5, the Lamb is given all of those things as well? Yeah, some of you, that's pretty awesome. Now, you might want to know who the 24 elders are. And guess what? the theologians give us 18 different explanations of who they are. So you want to talk about how complex this can get, y'all. I can't even think of 18. If you asked me right now, Joe, I will give you a million dollars if you can come up with 18 guesses of who they are. I would have to start thinking it's Fonzie, it's Leave it to Beaver, like it's the 50s stars of the, you know, the TV shows. There's like only like three or four explanations I can even give you here. here here's, here's my main one. The 12 elders of the Old Testament from the 12 tribes and the 12 disciples. That's what I think. Minus Judas because he said they'll be on thrones. Other than that, remember this. Anybody that's putting in here an idea of these 24 elders is just like you and I. They're giving us their best guess because we never get their names. Some think they're other angelic creatures. Some think they're just representing of something deep that I can't even remember what they said deep it was, you know, like the knowledge of God or something. And I'm like, no, I definitely think they're people up there. Okay, how many think they're at least people? Because it doesn't really give the images like they're, they're angels. And I'm not tricking you. It doesn't turn into another place like in the book of Revelation. They sprout wings. They start flying everywhere. No, this is all we get about them. They're around the throne. There's 24 of them, and they bow down and worship with these creatures. Here's something to think about. You are under their authority right now, whether you acknowledge it or not. So the Roman Catholics and the old school church, they get a little bit hype on having the Pope and all of these things. But understand this. These elders are in charge of every church on this planet. Everything that's being done and regulated, God is using these elders to, to be a part of that government. When it talks about the kingdom of heaven, remember in our Father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. So when God comes with this throne, who's coming with them? The elders, and and this is what I say to those of you guys who like Marvel comics and different things. I watch the shows as well. These are like the Power Rangers or the uh, the Avengers. These are the guys coming down, and they're going to rule and reign. That's why I believe 12 of them are the apostles, because Jesus said, you're going to rule with me on, on thrones. And so we don't know the other 12. Maybe it's Abraham. Maybe it's Moses, some of the prophets. We don't know exactly who it is. Sometimes you'll meet a cult leader who says, I'm one of them, and I'm going to be ruling over you. And then they ask you to follow them. How many know that's wrong, okay? Anytime you meet cult leaders that base their teachings here and say they know for sure they had a dream, that's when it's time to come back to Bible study. Can I hear an amen for that? 
Because next thing you know, you'll be swapping your wife. You'll be getting branded by a hot iron with their name on it, living out on a commune somewhere, okay? <laughs> stick, with, stick with the scriptures. And if we don't know, we don't know. It's not that important. Just know when they come down, you're going to know their names. Because they're the Supreme Court, because you'll hear more about them later, but they're the Supreme Court of what God's bringing down to rule and reign. How many are ready for the charts in the last 20 minutes? Let's give it up for the chart. We love Jesus. We'll clap for the chart. We'll see how much you love it after this, but okay. Sorry for the, the, the depictions here of white European Jesus. I wish he would, he would look more Latino, more African-American. Please forgive me. It's not, it's not the woke version, okay? It's not the woke version here, okay? I didn't design the chart because you know me. If I'm ever designing a chart, you know for sure Jesus is going to be like Denzel Washington. I am not... Catching, I'm not catching that licking for that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I get enough lickings from BLM and all that. Like, I will make Jesus black in the play from this point on. So my brother Will, you're going to be Jesus. Dreaded up, healthy, muscular Jesus. You are Jesus. Then we'll get Asian Jesus. Then we'll get Latino Jesus. You know what I'm saying? There's never a white Jesus at this church again because we've already been accused of so many redonkulous things about that. Anyways, please forgive him for making European Jesus here. So here it is. We've done the talks about the seven churches, seven candlesticks, the seven pastors, seven angels in God's hand. He says, come up here. We just read that. You now know my best explanation. We're not really going to fight and debate over it, right? If we discuss it, it's all in love. What comes next? Here's the big picture for all these next chapters. And by the way, if you do come back, and I hopefully, hopefully you do, even as a visitor, I'm not going to be focusing much on the chart because I'll just be focusing on what the Scripture actually says and what we're supposed to get from these things that occur. I'm not going to keep trying to convince you of this timeline, but once again, this is what I agree with. It's, I think, the best way to understand it. We're going to see Jesus come. He's going to open up a scroll. On that scroll are going to be seven seals. Those seven seals are going to unleash judgment on the earth. The first of the seven seals might be some familiar uh, folks you've heard about. Four horsemen of the apocalypse, anybody? There they come a-riding on down, bringing death, bringing war, bringing famine, bringing pestilence. Then there's martyrdom of those who are still left here. Because remember, there's going to be people left behind. You remember that book series or that movie? Kurt Cameron's in it. Go back and watch watch it. I think you'll enjoy it. My wife remembers my parents playing videos like that. Thief in the night, scaring all the little kids. Get ready for Jesus to come back. So much truth in that, okay? Then there's an interval. The 144,000 are sealed. This is another evidence to me that the church at large is in heaven because why is it so important now 144,000? I believe this is because God has a plan for Israel and it's going to awaken the nation that had to come back to its land since 1948, they've been there. I believe Israel is God's timepiece. And by the way, John Hagee has the full sermon with this thing as well, okay? So if you want to hear him do it and really get into it as well, go back and check this out. But this is what I believe. There's an interval of the ceiling, and then the golden censers full of fire get tossed to the earth. How many think that angel's pretty cool for getting to do that? How many would like to get to know him? You know what I'm saying? Like, what's your job, dude? Well, I just tossed the golden censers to the earth, okay, and set it on fire. Now, once again, you're asking me, what do I think the golden censers being thrown to earth are? What do you think I think it is? It's a golden censer being thrown down to earth, dude. 
If you would have shown some, I mean, I try to always bring it back to science, okay? I like to bring it back to science, but we're also believers in supernatural. But watch this. If somebody was from like the 100s, like 100 AD, and saw the size of a nuclear bomb, do you think they, could, they believe that thing could take out a city? I mean, they would look at that and go, no way, this, this thing can blow up an entire city. So whatever that golden sensor is, it's going to blow up some stuff, okay? You don't want to be here when that angel's chucking it down. But that's how the Bible says it's going to happen. The Bible says he's going to chuck some stuff down out of heaven onto earth, and I believe in the God who put him there to do that. Now, if you want to take it as symbolic you know, of something else, that's okay. But I, I take it he's going to be throwing some stuff down. So seven seals, seven judgments ending with the angel tossing down the, the golden censers lighting up the earth. Then there's going to be seven angels with seven trumpets. These trumpets are going to really bring down the pain. So after this, there is nothing but like hell to look forward to. I mean, it does not, no reprieve happens because after this burning mountains, a star falls out of the earth, probably like what we'd consider like an asteroid uh, falls into the earth. There are locusts that begin to plague people. And not only that, but look at these guys right here, demons. This is what is crazy right here. Demons are led out of the abyss, this place, peekaboo. It's, they're led out of here and allowed to roam the earth. Now, Trust me, I'm okay with going symbolic on this, but I'm still sticking with my first interpretation. I think it's going to be literal. So here's my little like, way of understanding it. Boom, we disappear in the rapture. What's going to be their explanation? Aliens, abduction, right? Then, guess what? The aliens are going to want to hang out with us and come down and chill. But what are those things? demons. And so everything you've watched as a 4th of July, you know, with Will Smith and Armageddon or whatever these movies are about the, the aliens come. Not Armageddon. That was an asteroid, right? But that's still part of this, right? Because that asteroid's coming. Wormwood's going to come and crash into our planet. All of this is just going to fit right into their sci-fi mind. So you are going to watch Apollyon, this lead demon, just walking down the street. If you're here, don't be here for it, but you get my point? And you're like, oh man, that is strange. There's no way Apollyon is just walking around. That's his name, He's like a chief general demon just walking around. You're like, no way he's going to do that. Have you ever saw a horse walk around? Have you ever saw, like, just think about what a horse is for a minute. We think these things are normal because we've seen them for a long time. But have you ever seen a child meet a horse for the first time? They're, they're like just shocked. This thing is on my planet right now. Like, how is this thing here? I mean, have you ever seen a lion? Have you ever seen these things? So these spirit creatures... Pretending to have power from a different dimension, not hard to prove to anybody here, are actually going to show themselves. See, now they don't want to do peekaboo. Think about why they don't want to do peekaboo. Because right now, Apollyon walks in here, and I go, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Because I am in the church age under the authority of Jesus, that Apollyon, that spirit instantly has to flee. The Holy Spirit will be here, but the authority of the age will be gone. Because remember, he said, I had all authority. I'm giving it to you. Go make disciples. But we, uh, I keep saying we, but the Christians that are here will not be able to cast those spirits out. So those Christians are here, and they're like, this is a demon. Leave in Jesus' name. And the demon's going to go, I'm not a demon. I'm from the planet this and that. I'm ruling your people now. I sting you. Seriously, think about it. I know it's hard to be serious when I'm not so serious, but... Serious. There will be demons unleashed upon the earth. Then two witnesses come down. I believe they're Elijah and Enoch. 
Okay, remember, there's 18 different explanations of who the 24 elders are. There's probably 100 explanations for who these two witnesses are. And once again, cult members love to say they're those two witnesses, okay? But here's why I believe it's Enoch and Elijah. They're the two people who have not what? Haven't died. They, they directly ascended to heaven. The Bible says that every man is appointed once to die, then face judgment. So these are the only two that haven't died. Christ even died, but he rose from the dead in a glorified body, right? No one else has ever had uh, a, a chance to beat death. These guys did. I believe God sends them back. What's interesting about this story is that you're talking about 100 years ago. So you're talking... You know, the early 1900s, all the way back to the time of Jesus, nobody understood how this story would play out. Here's how the story plays out. We'll get to it eventually. That they come down, they start preaching and teaching, they eventually get martyred, they do die, and the whole world looks at their bodies and then has a party and celebrates and gives gifts to each other. People always used to say back in the day as a way to be all sciencey and make fun of the Bible, how can everybody see two witnesses? How many know that's not even a big deal to you right now? But think about reading that in the 1800s. Two witnesses. We're all going to see them. Yeah, right. How's that going to happen? And now because of the technology, satellite, TV, whatever, boom, everybody's going to see them. Here's another thing about the mark of the beast. Remember we talked about this because that's what's going to be the power of the one world government, okay, is that he's going to give them a mark that you cannot buy or sell with unless you have the mark. Once again, 100 years ago, what's everybody saying? Come on, Christian, how are you going to restrict everybody by a mark? Because what mark could they give you 100 years ago? The best they could give you would be a tattoo. That's the best, Right? A mark on your skin. And now you're all looking at that going, of course they could have a one-world government restricting. And they could put GPS in that thing and track your behind down. Because otherwise, you're thinking to yourself, I'm just going to go run away to a farm somewhere. Not in this world. You're not running away anywhere from these folks. They can see where you're at, track you down. You can't buy or sell. And Christians, the ones who are going to convert the small numbers as the Jewish 144 witnesses are out there preaching, are going to get beheaded. The Bible says they are going to be killed quickly, but there will be some that will make it through, the Bible says. So those witnesses will come, and then this part right here, everybody say symbols. This is the one place where everybody has a symbol. The beast has a symbol. The antichrist, the, pro the false prophet has a symbol. The seven-headed dragon. Then there's a woman with 12 stars around her head. And so these are the places where we can go our best guess, because up until this point, all symbols have been interpreted. Seven golden lampstands, seven churches, seven stars, seven pastors. Everybody tracking with me? All of those things are interpreted. By the time we get here, all that we know is how they are told to be interpreted, but we don't know the exact interpretation. We're supposed to look at the woman with 12 stars giving birth to the Messiah and know that she's important. Now, some people are like, that's obvious. That's Mary. There's a problem with calling her Mary because she has a timeline that doesn't fit Mary. She actually exists in the end times. That means Mary would be 2,000 years old still chilling with us. And last time I checked, no matter how much a Catholic loved Mary, they did not believe Mary was still on the planet, right? So this is what we believe symbolizes Israel. The reason why we believe it symbolizes 
symbolizes Israel is because it's the 12 tribes. And yes, Mary, as an Israelite, gives birth to the Messiah, but the Messiah, more importantly, comes from Israel, not just a woman named uh, Mary. And Israel, all throughout the Bible, is considered God's bride, wife. In the Song of Solomon, that's a love story really between God and his nation Israel. And the prophets, he calls her a bride. He actually says she's an adulterous bride, but now she's right. And what's beautiful about this, in the New Testament, we're called a bride because we're what? Grafted in with Israel, and we get to be a part of the bride of Christ. But specifically here, this is Israel, and this is the seven-headed dragon with ten crowns that persecutes the woman, and it does it to the end times. And so what do we think that is? That's the Antichrist government persecuting. Am I already with the, the yarn now? Have I got the tin hat on? Okay, I was just looking at some of you, and then I'm just like, and then this over here, and then this. I feel like, and it makes sense, right? That's how I see myself, that meme. You got it, right? Okay. Well, by the way, we're going to read it all verse by verse. Today is the summary of it. Okay. So going back to the seven-headed dragon chasing the woman that has stars on her head. Okay. That's the dragon, the one world government ruled by the Antichrist who is this figure right here that gets warred with Michael and then Michael kicks him out of the heavens so there are three heavens according to the Bible. The heavens of the atmosphere the Bible calls that the atmosphere the, the atmospheric realm heavens. Then there is a spiritual dimension where the principalities and heavenly forces dwell and there's oftentimes battles there and then there is the heavenly realm where God is in his throne. We know that Satan fell like lightning from the realm of God into the heavenly realms where he battles with angels. And in the book of Job, he comes sometimes with the angels and he tries to tempt God to do things. These, these are stories I actually believe as well. But here he gets cast out of the heavenly realm. He is now manifested. And what he'll do is possess the Antichrist. He then sends one of his other spirits to possess the false prophet. And even at, this, at some point, the, the Antichrist, Antichrist gets shot in the head and the prophet brings him back to life and everybody thinks he's a god and they take his mark and they start worshiping him in the Jewish temple because we believe that temple will be rebuilt. Then these three angels literally start circling the globe telling everybody it's about ready to get super bad. Now once again, why doesn't everybody believe them? They've already been convinced probably that the chief alien that's with them is the good guy raising this guy from the dead and all of this is cool and those angels up there are the bad aliens everybody just put yourself in their shoes right they're deceived and so the the, the last three angels say this is about ready to get really bad all hell is coming upon this earth. Repent now. This is your last chance. And this is, this is why I explain it that way is because the people of the earth, they don't go, oh, yeah, we believe you, angels. They basically flick them off and go, hey, we don't want you. We want this guy. And so God's judgment is even more just. And then the bowls of wrath come. Everybody go, ooh. The bowls of wrath. And this is by this time the third of the world is destroyed. It is like left to almost nothing. And you think that would be enough, but it's not enough. The, the nations that are still there with the Antichrist then make war 
against the angels and the God of heaven and earth. They declare war and say, hey, if you're so upset with us, with messing with these Israelites, there's not many of them left. We're going to destroy them off the map. So they bring over 100 million soldiers to the battle of Megiddo or Armageddon. And that's when Jesus comes on a white horse with us who have been partying in heaven and comes back as the ruling king of kings, Lord of lords. Boom, it's done. The Bible then says the blood, this is gross, but it's true. The Bible says the blood will be as high as a horse's head for over 100 miles. It is going to be utter devastation. He will then plant his kingdom in Jerusalem, and all those who have turned against him will be cast into the lake of fire. But it doesn't just end there. The Bible actually talks about a thousand-year reign. And during this time, everybody get this. I'm going to give you two illustrations you'll probably never forget about how to look at this. Okay, during the tribulation period, here's how I want you to think about it. Medieval times. Have you ever heard of medieval times? You eat, they fight, right? You're like eating that, that, that turkey leg and somebody's like, oh, I got killed and they fall off the horse, whatever. That's going to be you. Marriage supper of the lamb, seven years watching this. And you're going to be cheering for the good guys. Let me ask you something. When the Cubs play somebody, do, they, do you root for the other team? Not if you're, no, no Sox fans here, right? You always root for the Cubs. Okay, okay. Okay, let me just... Forget that example. The Bears, the Bulls, okay? We all agree. The Bears, the Bulls, okay. Good save, Pastor. Good save. That was like a pity clap for me up here. When the Bears, the Bulls, they play somebody. You never root for the other team. When David was killing Goliath, anybody feeling sorry for Goliath? No. See, what we understand now is the mercy. We love sinners. We want to see them change. We really do. To wish, them upon, to wish this upon them is not God's will. God says, I want all to be saved. But that is during the church age. This is called the tribulation age. In the tribulation age, all that's happening here, you're looking at Goliath. All that's happening there, you're looking at the guys who are opposing the bulls. We're up there cheering on the winning team. So think about that as you think about tribulation. You're with your father. You're safe in heaven, and you know that that judgment is just. Now, for the thousand-year reign, think of the thousand-year reign as God's way of showing all of his haters what the Garden of Eden could have been like. He doesn't just skip right ahead and just cast them out of his presence. The Bible says that hell becomes a location in the center of the earth with it exposed to what's going on. So when you come to New Jerusalem, you will see the torment of God's enemies. Everybody think about that. You're going to be playing golf with Jesus. Ah, hear a little scream over there. Somebody didn't love Jesus, I guess. You're going, to be, you're going to be wakeboarding with Jesus. Whatever you do with Jesus, you're going to be fishing with Jesus. You're going to be shopping with Jesus. And every now and then, you're going to be reminded, true story, of what the penalty of sin is. Thousand-year reign, 24 elders on the earth. Jerusalem, center of the earth. Christians are the rulers. We're ruling. I know you think to yourself, man, Marvel Comics has ruined this for me. I can only see it in fiction. My friends, the fiction is the imitation of the real deal. The fiction is the imitation. The real deal is that God created us in his image to rule and reign on the earth. The devil tempted us and lied to us, and now he's cast into the lake of fire there at that point in history for him to suffer. And the Bible says that wasn't prepared for us. That was only for him. 
But anyone who chose to follow him, they're going to be there during this time. So literally, you're going to see that during this time. And then the final white throne judgment where we, the Bible says, everybody get this, 1 Corinthians. Remember I say I stay right here? Everybody say, that's your spot, Pastor. And this spot right here, we're not talking figurative. We're not talking like, you know, the seven-headed dragon. Paul says you're going to judge angels. As clear as, as he says you're going to do this, you're going to do that, Paul says you're going to judge angels. Before the kingdom of God has its last laugh on the devil, we will judge the angels who afflicted us. So imagine you looking at that spirit of perversion that would mess with you every night to go to bighooters.com. You're going to be like, I judge you in the name of Jesus, you foul spirit. You never come back. Right? Imagine that spirit of violence and of anger that you dealt with. You know, you're going to cast that spirit out. The Bible says he's going to give us the authority to judge them. And then this is how it ends. He renovates the earth with fire. We go to new heavens and new earth. Everybody give a big amen. 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 That's the chart. Any questions you have for me with the chart, please write Lauren Sienski at mpichurch.org or Pastor Jared at mpichurch.org. Dot org. There it is. Some, some of the things I couldn't get into in depth. But now as we go through it, I will be faithful to give you. This is, this is the commitment that I will have with you as your, your lead teacher through this series. Is that I promise to let you know when we're going on mere um, you know, conjecture. When we don't know. When there's multiple opinions. I'll let you know. But the most important part I want you to get out of here is what we do know. We do know Jesus Christ is coming back. That's what we do know. We do know that upon the earth there are going to be punishments. You don't want to be here for that. You don't. You want to be where Christ is, okay? And then lastly, it is our job to prepare people to come. Now, some of you may sit back, and I tried to make it light in some ways because it's very serious, but some of you honestly may have a problem with the depiction of this book. And you may think, man, that is outdated, that is archaic, that is myth. I really want you to re-examine, like C.S. Lewis did, what is myth. Whenever you listen or read to uh, watch myth, what is myth exactly? It's characters and people that aren't normal to our culture, to our society, teaching us lessons, isn't it? You watch uh, the movie, The Lord of the Rings. It's myth, but doesn't it relate to you as a person? There's good, there's evil, there's bad guys, there's good guys. Let's say you chalk this all up to myth. Who's the good guy out of Revelation? Jesus. Who's the bad guy? Satan. Okay, now let me ask you this. Is that myth? Is Jesus the person myth? No, Jesus lived. That's the one religious figure that we can point to and say he lived and he performed the miracles. We're not talking about somebody who just claimed things. We're talking about somebody who demonstrated things. How about this? Do you believe that there's evil in the world? Yes or no? Okay, do you believe that evil can reside in a person? Yeah, so where did that person get evil from? Yeah, exactly. So sometimes people go, no, no, no. It came from our animal instinct. The moment you just said that, you got rid of evil. Think about it. If we're just animals, might is right. There is no wrong. You see, the moment you make a moral decision, you have elevated your nature above the chemicals in your brain. If all you are is chemicals in your brain, there is nothing good or evil up here. And if all you are is molecules in motion, there is nothing wrong or evil that one molecule does to another molecule. The fact that we as humans have morals is the evidence of God. Now, if we're all sitting here and we go, you know what? I don't want anybody to rape my daughter. 
Why are people raping daughters? I heard about another pastor, another teacher. I always hear these crazy stories. They're sick and disgusting. Why are people still doing that? We can't blame it all on mental illness. Give them a mental illness test. They passed it, right? Like, do you know what up and down is? Do you know what your hand is? You know what their body is, okay? Well, come on. The difference is, is they're making choices that violate what we call a moral code. And the moment you get upset about that, you're actually showing that you're made in the image of God. Here's where Hitler goes. You see, if there's no God and we're just from the goo through the zoo to you, then why are we upset about what happens with a bunch of goo? Everybody get it. Well, it's not good for overall culture. Who cares about culture? You are on a speck of dust in a universe that's headed towards a heat death and will be forgotten. This universe, Big Banged, right? And we know who banged it. God said it and bang, it happened. But listen, let's follow their train of thinking. If, if there's just a Big Bang, we're just molecules in motion, then this planet is but a speck of dust, infinitesimal, and the size of a universe that's going to forget about you at some point, and itself will be forgotten. Well, we're in a multiverse. Well, what do you think happens to all the other verses? Okay? So the point is, if we are true to our biblical uh, beliefs, we actually help answer the moral dilemma. Because when somebody goes, well, I don't like the morals of your Bible, that there's an eternal place of torment. I ask them, well, where do, Hit where do Hitlers go then? Because let's just start right there. Where do rapists go? Where does blatant evil go? Where does it go? Does, 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 does it all just disappear with dust? Well, then might is right. Hitler won. Hitler got to take over Germany, get a lot of power, have a lot of fame, kill himself in the end, game over. Took the ball home on a winning streak. You know, you're playing the guy in ball. He gets a few points. He says, boom, I won. I'm taking the ball home now. That's Hitler. But what do Christians say to Hitler? Dude, you in hell right now, and you're about ready to face judgment. You're going to watch me party for a long time with the Jewish people, and you're going to be extinguished from God's presence. And somebody goes, well, that's not fair. Well, remember, you and I didn't get to make the place, so we don't make the rules of what is fair. But honestly, by your own standard, I can show you that it is fair. You would have to come to the point to just not accept it. Let me just give you a, a, quick, a quick beginning to this. Did God create us, yes or no? Did he tell us his commands, yes or no? Yes, that's right for him to judge us then. Yeah, that's right. Do you, do you judge people who break God's commands against you? Yeah, and then people say, well, it's eternity, it's eternity. We, you know, let's not have them suffer for as long as, as, as uh, you know, eternity. Let's have them suffer for as long as they do. You don't get to make the duration here. God's an eternal being. He made eternity in our hearts, the Bible says. This human soul that we have will exist in eternity. So God now decides the duration of the soul, and the soul is for eternity. Sometimes people will say, well, I believe in annihilation. Good Christians. I mean, Jehovah Witnesses are not Christians, and they believe in it. But there's other groups who say, I actually believe at the end of all of this, they're exterminated. Fine, if that's what you want to believe. The bottom line is God judges them and removes them from his planet. It's his planet. It's his rules. He told us what to do. It's that simple. And then whatever, what always comes up after that? Well, what about those who haven't heard? What's the first thing I say to somebody who asks me about what about those who haven't heard? I say, it's not you. Okay, so let's just make sure whatever answer I give you, it doesn't apply to you because you're hearing right now, right? Can I hear amen to that? So anybody that's smart enough to put that towards us in a Christian conversation, just be like, just first and foremost, that's not you. You're held accountable to this, baby. But what we do believe about those who have never heard, because just think about this. Even in the end times, God is so faithful to have three angels circle the globe. Like as if you were in Germany, we send down the, uh, the pamphlets to say, the American army is coming, you better repent. Isn't that pretty awesome? He sends down the three angels. So it's that important for everybody to hear. What if they don't hear? Bible says in Romans chapter 1, he judges them by their conscience. 
And the conscience has the standard of the moral law, not murdering, not committing adultery. God will judge them by that. And that's why we want to reach unreached people groups so they can understand more clearly about Jesus and how he came and died on the cross. But my personal belief is that no one goes to hell without violating the law of God consciously. Children, those who are handicapped, I believe God has a special place in heaven. There's also some that believe they get to come back during the thousand-year reign and have their, their chance at life. There's other stories that people can fit into here of how God is just in that. So you don't have to feel pressured to say what you don't know. Just say simply, God is just. He'll do what's right. He's our judge. How many trust the judge? Amen. So I trust the judge, but once again, it's not them. Our culture is a culture who has heard this, that actually makes fun of this, that will spend a billion dollars to watch a guy in tights fly with a cape and imitate this, right? I mean, let's think about, well, it's so stupid, it's fiction, but dudes, you got a tattoo of it. How many grown dudes have I seen with Batman tattoos? I had a friend name his son after Superman, whatever Superman's name is. What's his real? No, not that name, the real name. Kal-El. Yeah, that name. I'm like, you named your son? Yeah, I named my son after. Oh, I still don't believe it. Okay, dude, whatever. And then, oh, but that's not real. What is real? What, what do, I mean, I talk to these people, and I love them, and I want to have mercy, and God help us to be patient because we used to be hard-hearted like them. But then I ask them, what is real? Oh, my job is real. Money is real. Okay, how real is it? Does it last beyond your death? So it's real for, what, 70 years? What I'm talking about is the foundation of the planet. Where do you think this came from? Where do you think we go in the end? Who do you think is wrapping this all up? And if I had time, as by God's grace we will when we go through these things, like I did with the two witnesses and like I've done with the mark of the beast and other things, I will show you that it was impossible for someone in 90 AD to write down these things that we're now seeing here today. As a matter of fact, for all of this to happen, just to give you one more example, I mentioned it in passing, for all of this to happen, Israel has to be as a nation in its country. Do you know that they were expelled in 70 AD, and they're the only known people group besides the gypsies, which we don't know if they actually had their own land ever to begin with, but they are the only people group to be without their land, keep their identity, and here's where they outdo the gypsies, for over 1,800 years, they kept their national identity without a land. Like today, if I asked you, where are the Philistines? Those were common peers with them. Those people have been absorbed into Arabia and other nations. If I asked you, where are the Assyrians? Assyrians can somehow trace it, but they got absorbed as well. If I asked you about the Medes and the Persians, once again, they get absorbed into these other, uh, other nations. The people group of the Israelites predate those folks, lasted longer than they have, and now, lo and behold, 1948, around our time, modern world, they get their nation back? How in the world could that be an accident? Some people say it's a self-fulfilled prophecy. Well, if after 1,800 years you self-fulfill a prophecy, that's the same thing as a prophecy to me. I mean, well, they did it and they made it happen. And it, well, that's kind of the point, isn't it? They were, they were supposed to remember themselves. I mean, don't you think the Spartans wanted to remember themselves? Where's a, where's a Spartan now? But if you ask somebody today, where's a Jew? You have a Jewish friend, right, you know? And so that had, for this even to happen, there has to be an Israel. And there is an Israel. And it just, did it just happen randomly? No, it happened after the greatest atrocity to the Jewish people. You think that's an accident? 
that of all the people, I mean, we know you can hate a lot of people in this world, but the Germans were absolutely fixated on the Jews. Like, it wasn't just like the Jews, the gypsies, and everybody else. It was the Jew, the Jew, and maybe a gypsy or somebody else who gets in my way. Are you tracking with me here? Six, ten million of them slaughtered in a time of years. See, once again, you believe in evil, I believe in evil. Where did that evil idea come from? Why pick them out that way? Why literally make it your life ambition to exterminate them? Today, Muslim nations who claim to have Jewish prophets in their religion want to, there are some, not all, want to exterminate, read their writings, exterminate the nation of Israel and every one of the Jews. You have never heard that. I want to exterminate all the Kenyans. I want to exterminate all the Italians. But this people group has lived under the threat of extermination their entire history. Read about the Spanish Inquisition and what the Catholics did to them, right? Read about what happened to them even before uh, Germany in Russia, how they were treated and what they have gone through. And so for them now to have their own nation, and this is literally the backdrop of this story that you're reading, that right there shows us that there's some things here we got to take very, very seriously. Amen? How many are ready for Jesus? Let's give it up for the Lord. Stand up, please. Thank you. You guys are awesome. Let's have uh, the band come back. How many are ready to sing songs again? Joe, I really like the sing song part. This other part was a little tough for me. How many like both parts? Amen, by God's grace. How many are going to study this chart for the next, like, 20 weeks? Amen. Just get into it. Study it. If this is your passion, please have permission to share it and talk about it here. Um, just know that if we're going to argue about it, where are we going? Red, red. Some of you are like, Pastor, why has it got to be Red Lobster? Why can't it be a dog stop? Why can't it be Jimmy's? You know, Red Lobster's uh, pretty expensive. And I'm like, because I wanted to tour you from having this discussion. <laughs> I should have said like, Fogo de Chao. Well, yeah. And then people will be like, but Pastor, you're paid to talk about this with us. Yes, I did my job today. I got paid to do this. This debating stuff about it, man, I can't, I can't debate this right here, man. I would have to want to fight about something I don't have that much confidence in. But I'll tell you what I do have confidence in is that I'm going when he's coming. Amen. And let, if the rapture happens right here, I'm going to be so happy. How many want the rapture to happen before all of this? But how many know if it happens here, you're still going with him? How many, is anybody here going to be like a spoiled child and be like, I'm not going. You waited too long, Jesus. I'm staying right here. You, you, you're, not, you're not getting me to go. No. It's like, I'm going, Jesus. Thank you. I, I, will definitely, I will definitely say to him, I wasn't expecting all that I went through, but I'm glad to be here. But I will say, in all honesty, let's pray. That's why I always wear this bracelet. I always have these for free if you want them. But how many know people in China are going through things that they didn't expect to go through? The churches around the world, they're suffering. And so we don't want to take that lightly either. Let's have our altar workers come and close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this wonderful day. With everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, would you examine your heart as we talk to our Father, that one who sits on the throne, that appears as Jasper, the one that has peals of thunder and lightning around him, would you right now search your heart and see if you're ready to meet him? If you're not, it's probably because you haven't met his son, the Lamb of God. No one can go to the Father except through the Son. If you're here today and you're not ready for judgment, would you call upon Jesus today? Ask Jesus to forgive you. 
change you, save you, because then you could be waiting for him like us. Christians are no different than anybody else. We're just sinners saved by grace. We're not better than anybody else. We're just better off because Jesus gave us his promise to change us, to come back for us. A few moments, if you're already a Christian, would you examine your heart? If it's this serious that we would get a whole book about how it ends, are you ready for judgment as a Christian? I didn't have time to reference it. But do you know that us as Christians, we'll still be going to heaven and then coming to rule and reign, but we'll be judged on our words, our deeds, and those will determine our position in the kingdom, whether we have rewards or whether we'll be embarrassed and ashamed for the things we didn't do for Christ. Would you look at your life right now in light of what we've learned, that you would be ready to meet Jesus? To give an account for your life. Were you faithful on your job? Faithful to your, fa your friends, your family? Did you keep the morals of Christianity? When you broke them, did you repent? And then lastly, can someone right now begin to pray for your friends, your family? Because we are in the church age, and we should have a broken heart for those who are not ready for this day. Lord, we pray for our politicians. We pray for our entertainers. Lord, we pray for our friends, our families. We pray that for other religions who have been told a different story and maybe believe that. God, we pray for them to know the truth. Even as I'm praying, if you want to come forward, you can come for any of those things I mentioned. But we'll close out in just a moment. Thank you for your patience. But would you pray for somebody to know Jesus, to know the Lord who's going to come. I want my neighbors to know Jesus. Lord, speak to them. Show them that the gods of Hinduism are but lies from demons to receive worship. These are those fallen angels that want to receive worship in these images that are made by men's hands. Lord, I pray for my, my, my friends, God, that I grew up with that have turned uh, against you because they think that because they've gone through hard times and you've tarried and haven't come back yet that maybe you're not real or this story doesn't make sense. Lord, I pray for my friends to not be distracted by their jobs, their careers, their family, but for them to find you today, seek you, to knock at the door. You said those who seek, find. Those who ask, receive. Those who knock, have the door open. A few more moments. Who wants to see a city set on fire for Jesus before the fire of judgment comes? They may not understand that this is what they need, but it is. We're like those angels circling the city preaching the gospel, seeing lives change. Some of you are here today and you used to be God haters, God mockers. You used to live just like everyone else, but what did God do in your heart? Pray for that for someone else. Belmont and Cragen community, Logan Square, Albany Park, the Loop. Oh God, the South Side, the West Side, oh Lord. These suburbs, Jesus. Do a work in Chicago, God. When we understand what eternity is going to be like, it will change how we live on this earth. We need to understand this kingdom is coming. Whether you understood all the chart today, do you still believe his kingdom is coming? I believe it, man. His kingdom is coming. A few more moments. Are you ready? Are your friends ready? Lord, use us. We take it serious. Help us to share it. Whatever people got out of this message, help them to share it this week. No one left behind on our watch, oh God. Make us world changers, history makers. In your name we pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can you bless the Lord today if you believe it? Amen.